You're listening to the Just Sayin' Podcast, offering conversations with experts that will educate, inform, and entertain. Here's your host of the Just Sayin' Podcast, Charlie Cornaccio. Hey, everyone. It's Jerry Craft Part 2 today. He had a scheduling conflict a couple of weeks ago, cramming for a deadline, as most cartoonists and authors do. So we had to push that one, and we're so glad he's here. Jerry Craft is joining us right now. How are you, my friend? I am wonderful. I'm exhausted, but I'm wonderful nonetheless. Well, I'm so glad you could join us. I know that uh, uh, just for our viewers and our listeners, if you hear any clicking, uh, Jerry is still continuing trying to meet deadlines. So he'll be working a little bit while he's talking to us, but uh, we're just grateful that we could get a little bit of time with him and some insight. <laughs> there he goes. You know, it's a lot different these days, right? With the technology. Oh. I know everything is electronic. It is so different from the days of photostats and Crocro pens and India ink and, you know, having to mail stuff and yeah. Oof. Yeah. But you you know, you st uh, you're still an old school guy because you still have an AOL account. So I do. I do. I, I give that to my friends because that's the one where, like literally it's so old i think my password is like four four letters <laughs> you know and and i'm jerry craft not jerry craft 742 or you know yeah. so yeah definitely old school in some things yeah let's talk about new kid that came out and has gotten just rave reviews and too many awards for us to mention so what i'm going to do is i'll scroll it on the screen for those of you who are watching the <laughs> podcast uh, for those of you who are not, uh, you go to Jerry Craft's website, and, and it's, the list is so long. But, I mean, that's got to make you feel really, really great. Well, you know what? So the last time you interviewed me, um, that was before any of the traditionally published work. That was just all, like, my mama's boy stuff and self-publishing. And, you know, you talked about my journey. And uh, 2014, I got to illustrate a book for Scholastic. And that was like my first big break after like 30 years of self-publishing. I actually self-published my first book in 1997. Um, that's how long I've been doing this. And New Kid came out in 2019. So last year, February of last year. And graphic novel the response and the accolades and all that have been absolutely amazing beyond my wildest imagination i guess and that's what happens when well i guess maybe a couple of things you know you're in the business for as long as you've been in the business you've got great stories to tell you've got a great message to tell and you're drawing from life experience yeah and and it's very interesting that of all of the books that i've done kids going into space and kids doing this and this it's like the one that is literally a combination of both my life and the life of my two sons going to independent schools and being some of the few kids of color in our class is the one that has really resonated, not just here, but worldwide. Like it's being translated into Greek, Korean, Albanian, Romanian, and Iranian. Wow. You know, and I, I've done Zoom interviews with kids in New Zealand and China and, and all this about a little African-American boy, a 12-year-old 12 African-American boy from Washington Heights, where I grew up in New York City. Yeah, I mean, it, it is your life story being, uh, you know, a kid from Washington Heights and then having to go to Riverdale in a private school 
uh, being one of just a, a, a very few African-American kids in that school. What was that like for you back then? You know, it was just part of life. It was like, I didn't know any better, you know, because growing up watching TV, you know, I watched the Brady Bunch and the Parsons family and you wanted to be Greg Brady or you wanted to be David Cassidy or someone like that. And you just never knew that there was anything else but trying to fit in as best you could. You know, uh, there was Fat Albert, which is the only black cartoon and still like really one of the only to ever make it to that level. And that was what, 50 years ago or so? Yeah, yeah. So I had gone to pretty small schools in Harlem and in Inwood with like, you know, the class is like 25 kids of which 22 were African-American. And then I went to Fieldston in Riverdale and now there's 110 kids in my class of which 10 of us are African-American and maybe half of those kids had been there their whole lives. So we really didn't have anything in common, but you know, it was just told to put your head down and get it done. So that's what I did. Which I think that's why you, you resonate with me, but you resonate with a lot of people because you were just one of those guys who just put your, your nose to the grindstone. And even in your story about first getting published, you were rejected so many times for so many different reasons. They characterized your, your, your efforts in, in ways that were so far beyond what you were really trying to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and you didn't let it get you down. You just kept going, kept going, kept pushing. That's a great message for people today. Yeah, it's definitely that little engine I could thing because it was you know i think i can i think i can and it was like oh well nobody wants these kind of books or only black kids want books with black characters or it's angry or we've already got something like it or we've already you know even doing um syndicated comic strip it was so tough you know i'm doing mama's boys it's a mom raising her two teenage sons and they own a bookstore and they talk about you know health and and um nutrition and literacy it's like well we've already got curtis i'm like but it's nothing like curtis <laughs> well we've already got jumpstart it's nothing like jumpstart we already have herb and jamal and i literally was never able to get mama's voice where i wanted because all the syndicates had their one black strip it was like highlander like there can be only one yep. and the syndicates had their one and so that eventually led me to self-publishing and then helping others publish. And, you know, it was like a really, really a, a slow road. You know, I kid now is like 30 years of hard work to become an overnight sensation. So like that is definitely something that um, I will have to get a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> Do you think that... Um... You know, and especially in today's world, we're talking about, you know, how far we've come or how far we've not come uh, in, in this area. But do you think in, in the area of your expertise that that industry has come a, a ways for, uh, for African-American artists? I think it's better, but it's still like, for example, there can be... 10 strips about a white family from the suburbs, right? You can have Blondie and High and Lois and this one and that one, or, you know, 10 talking dog strips or 10 talking cat strips, you know? And 
it's always been seen like the the black strips have to be so different in order for someone to take a chance. So I really switched over more towards like middle grade stuff, graphic novels and things like that. And one of the big things I have seen with that in my lifetime is that so many of the the so much of the literature that features African American kids is about the big three, which is slavery, civil rights, or gangs. You know, if it's contemporary, it's gangs slash police brutality. And there just really aren't that many that's just like, hey, here's a kid that went to IHOP for breakfast and went and played soccer on his Saturday soccer team and then went to Dairy Queen for an ice cream. (laughs) And then his dad put some burgers on the grill and they played Xbox, the end, without (laughs) something catastrophic happening you know so that was really something that when i did new kid i wanted to make sure you know spoiler alert no one dies and the stuff was more like nuances and kind of the paper cuts of kind of being one of the few kids of color and microaggressions and things like that but not like you know a nuclear bomb going off that just when you read it after you're done you're just depressed you know i put a lot of humor in it to make sure that it was uh, relatable and that it would get you laughing. And then after you laugh, then you think. And that's what I like about, about New Kid. And I think that's why it can resonate outside of, of this, you know, of color community. It can resonate with anyone because we've all felt like, you know, maybe not the new kid, but the outsider. Mm-hmm. We weren't accepted by a particular group or, or not. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, when I think back on it now, I, I was treated differently or badly as a kid because I was Italian in an Irish neighborhood. And right. it never hit me at that time. You know, I was 12 years old. I just thought that, that that's a mean person because I never did anything to them. Why? They didn't even know me. Right. And it wasn't until I got older that I understood it. But new kid can relate to everybody because everyone feels, even adults, will feel in the workplace that they don't fit in no matter right. what their background or heritage is. But the biggest thing is that, you know, I respect HarperCollins, my publisher, for giving me the chance and even thinking that that book could relate because in all honesty, how many, so like I said, I grew up, you know, relating to Greg Brady, relating to this one, relating to that one, you know, how many black characters traditionally has the average, you know, white man or woman related to ever? There's no Harry Potter. There's no wimpy kid. I mean, and that's one of the the big tragedies of the Cosby show, because that was probably in some people's way, the the most relatable family. And now you may never see another episode of that on the air again, for obvious reasons, which I understand, but that was kind of the benchmark um, of a show that you might be like, Oh yeah, that was just an average American family. You know, so that was really what my dream was with doing New Kid. And um, even then I got rejected five or six times before um, finally finding a home with uh, with Harper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been pulled in a lot of different directions lately because of what's been going on in the country through live streams and, and Zoom calls and everything else. Uh, uh, give us your take on, on what you see of what's going on and what com- what we could do 
to move forward in a positive direction? So the biggest thing to me is just the understanding because th there is a lot of pushback with anything. So for example, last couple years, like when the Me Too movement really in the limelight, you know, which it should have been, I wasn't like, well, why are they telling those stories? What about my story? It was, that's a story that needs to be told. Mm -hmm. And what can I do to support? Because yes, obviously there are, it's horrible what, what has happened to the women who spoke. And, and obviously that's not my life directly, but I realized that there are changes that need to be made. But again, uh, just like with, uh, we talk about Black books only being for Black people. What I like to say is when you hear Black Lives Matter, a lot of times that shuts people down. So I, I like to say, you know, when you see people that say, save the rhinos, right? Or save the elephants. That doesn't mean you don't care if all the tigers die or that, you know, dolphin aren't important. That means that in this particular case, uh, elephants are hunted for their tusks, they're brutalized, they're becoming extinct, same like tigers. And that just means that, you know, unless something is done, that we're not going to have anymore, that there is a, a certain cruelty that needs to be stopped. The same with like breast cancer awareness, you know, if I have a button that says we have to cure breast cancer, that doesn't mean that I'm not equally concerned with people with leukemia, you know, or something like that. So you wouldn't say if someone says, hey, stop breast cancer, you wouldn't yell out, well, all diseases matter. And, you know, and they do, absolutely. But what I'm saying is in this particular thing, there are things that are relevant to people. And when you talk about Black Lives Matter, I want you to think that um, if you love New Kid and, you know, there are people who think about, you know, oh, Jerry Craft is now my favorite author, which is great. But Jerry Craft gets stopped by the police quite often. It hasn't been this year, but last year it was because the light over my license plate was out, which I didn't even know that that was a thing, but pulled me over. And then, of course, that's an opportunity to check. And luckily, you know, I know all the things, hands in the steering wheel, but that doesn't mean that there's not a, a level of uncomfortableness, level of fear. Before that, I was the year before driving on 17K in upstate New York, pulled over officers like, I've been following you for five miles and you didn't use your turn signal. I'm like, one, why have you been following me for five miles? And two, he's told me that I didn't use my turn signal three times, but 17K is a one lane highway. You know what I mean? So where do you even use a turn signal three times on a one lane highway. And then I went for my hearing. And even though that area is not diverse at all, the courtroom was like very diverse, let's say. The courtroom was a lot more diverse than the area. Than the community. Right, than the community. So I'm like, so how, that's why he followed me for five miles. And then before that, I was in Brooklyn, stopped, and this by a black officer because I had Connecticut plates. You know, where are you going? 
Well, I just came from doing a book fair with my son. You know, my son was 12 at the time, you know, and the other officer stands by him with his hand on his holster. I'm like, my son is 12. Like, I'm a dad and my son. We just did a panel. We're feeling good. Well, why are you here in Brooklyn? Uh, because I just did a panel. What? What's the address? Where'd you come from? Oh, man. I'm like, what is this, Soweto? <laughs> you know, where I have to have papers? Well, you know, some people come here and they live in New York, but they use Connecticut license plates to to cheat on their insurance. I'm like, okay, but, and this is me, okay? I am now an award-winning children's book author, you know, light-skinned, well-spoken, educated. So I know the yes officer, no officer, that kind of thing. But if, if you're not like that and you don't know how to react, things can escalate. And that's what unfortunately happens. And I, I think that there really needs to be more de-escalation, one. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things I wanted to do with, with New Kid is offer a level of humanity that I don't think oftentimes African-Americans get. So... If you have a white kid who is killed, unfortunately, you hear, oh, he was on a roll and captain of the football team, and he was going to be president of his, you know, crew team and this. And conversely, when it's an African-American kid, it's, what did he do? You know, and they go through his Facebook page and look, look. Here's a picture of him like this. That's a gang sign. It's like, no, that's that's a peace sign. <laughs> you know, well, he once got a detention in school. You know what I mean? Like, it's a way to justify that these horrible things happen as opposed to, wow, you know, he's someone's kid who was going home to his dad and they may have gone to the park and now, you know, there's no high school graduation. So I think that there's a a level of meanness sometimes that we are the victims of where you don't think of, wow, that's a tragedy. He will be missed. He's a dad or she's a mom or a sister, you know? And that's why I think that with the books that I am trying to do, kids will go, wow, that could be Jordan Banks or even like, oh, Jerry Craft has sons, you know? I hope his sons are okay. You know, does he worry when they go out? I mean, when when my son was going to his high school prom, he wanted to take his mom's car, which is much nicer than mine. And I I made (laughs) him take, (laughs) yeah, I made him take my, you know, 1927 Studebaker because I'm like, look, you cannot be a black kid driving on the Merritt Parkway in this fancy car at one o'clock in the morning. So if you need to ride in my Model T, you know, without power steering or power windows, so that I know that, you know, you're going to come home to me, then you're just going to have to suck it up. So that's always on your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I I think that, you know, it's in its most simplistic form, it comes down to communication. Yeah. Everything can be solved with communication. It's just that people don't want to sit down and communicate properly or honestly. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you a a funny story. 
I was in Stanford and I'm driving and, you know, there's construction. So I stop and there's a police officer and he's like, hey, you have to get rid of those. And I immediately like sweat and, you know, like, oh my God, you know, what do I do? And he looks over and I had, I was wearing New York Giants gloves and he's a Patriots fan. <laughs> and then he starts laughing. Oh, like, you can't joke with me like that. Don't you know I'm a black man? That's not funny. <laughs> you know, I'm like ready to like run out the other side and, and put my hands up and all that. But he was a, a nice guy. You know, he was just like a cool guy. But because of all the other things in my mind, I went dark immediately, Yeah, you know? With everything that's going on, you know, and you're bringing up some great points. Do they get lost with all of the other extraneous stuff that's happening? Does the message get lost because of, of all the tragedy that we're seeing in cities that are getting burnt up and, and stuff? I mean, they're definitely... the. The people who it gets lost on don't want to get it at all. You know, those are the people, again, like, oh, me too. And I go, yeah, well, what about when I was applying for a job and my boss flirted with me? What about my story? It's like, relax, you know. And again, not that those stories aren't important and need to be heard, but sometimes listen without thinking that you know the answers let me hear your story without me talking then it wouldn't have have gotten to this point there are people now that will listen so now they might be like wow if they don't convict these people who do these atrocities or if they come and burn down my whole foods i'm gonna have to go to the next town to get my gluten-free bread they may see that as the only consequence but at least for the first time ever there is a consequence and and i'm not condoning that by any mean what i'm saying is now that people have something that they can lose they think more about it but some people have done extraordinary things. I mean, you see, there's a protest in Utah, and there were no black people at all there. And they were as angry as the protests in Brooklyn, you know, or Philly or, or someplace like that. Yeah, look at Seattle. Seattle I mean, is, whew. I mean, that's yeah. a bunch of white kids. Yeah. For the most part, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that when you talk about just the frustration of working as hard as we do. I think that racial equality, systematic racism, economic oppression, I would like to just see sweeping change so that people can can just be people and, and the quality of life just be overall improved so that if your life is better, you're not looking at me, the black guy, coming to take your job or the Latino guy now coming to do this, or you know what I mean? So there's just a lot of stuff, and, and I think that a lot of eyes have opened. NFL, NASCAR, Colin Kaepernick lost his job, his livelihood, for protesting about this. And it was, you know, seen as anti-American, but that's what I'm saying, where a lot of times, I think as African-Americans, we're not given that same level of being American, and this is our country. Yeah. On the Kaepernick thing, you know, I, I, I get where he was coming from. I'm not sure that the forum was right. Maybe it was right because it brought attention to it. 
But my thing was, you know, if you really want to do something good, you're making millions of dollars. And I've researched to see if he's done anything with those millions of dollars to donate like Drew Brees has in his community for Louisiana and, and the restoration after the um, hurricane and all that. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything from, from Kaepernick where, where he's done that. And my, my feeling is you're making millions of dollars, yet all you want to do is, is kneel down in front of the flag so that it's misunderstood. <laughs> Lead by example. Show people that you care and that you're doing stuff to, to help out. That's my take on that. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know what he's done financially like that. But there are tons of people that do give financially and it doesn't get covered. So, I mean, I think in the same way that Rosa Parks was a symbolic thing that created a movement, it's similar. I mean, we're talking about him. You know what I mean? When LeBron did stuff and started speaking out, not on the court, they said, shut up and dribble. You know, and if Ted Nugent gets up and says something bad they don't tell him shut up and play your instrument you know so again i i do think that there is a level of um criticism that we get because you don't really understand because like i said i've done cartoons that i thought were family things and they're like oh well that's angry it's like it's not angry like so it's not bad if it happens to me. It's just bad if I complain about it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I do think that it did definitely bring awareness, but I think that people missed the point because a lot of people just didn't listen and go, oh, well, this is what's going on. It was seen as anti-American. But if we're talking about, I'm afraid when my son goes out, if this is America, then I'm American. So our tax dollars go to be protected as well. And, you know, the police are are necessary, but the fear that I have is not necessary. Mm, Yeah. Well, I appreciate all of your your comments on that. And I think uh, hopefully, you know, people got something out of that. I think the biggest thing is listen, is exactly what you're saying is just listen. Uh, So we definitely have to do that. I want to circle back into um, publishing. And what advice would you give to young people who maybe, you know, have a little bit of artistic talent, you know, want to do something along the lines of what you're doing in today's world? What would be the path that they should take to get rolling with that? So I started my comic strip in local newspapers. And I mean, you know, they may have had a subscription of 500 because I, I really wanted to see how it looked on the page. Kids can do web comics. People can do print on demand. When I first did my mama's boys books, there was no print on demand. So I had to order 2,500 copies. Oh. Right? <laughs> and either sell them or those boxes became my dining room table. You know? <laughs> right. But a lot of young kids that I see are so hard on themselves that they never finish anything. So there's a whole sketchbook of half a drawing or half this or half that. And then they get frustrated because it doesn't look good. So they're not learning, they're just tearing it up. When I do drawing workshops with kids, sometimes I'm trying to teach them to draw SpongeBob or Jordan Banks from New Kid or something like that. And they'll do one or two lines and then just start erasing and they're balled up, put in the garbage. And I have literally taken stuff out of the garbage and said, look, just a couple lines here. Look at this. How is that? 
it's not going to be perfect, you know, and don't look at my book and say, I can't do that because, you know, when I do school visits, I show them stuff that I did when I was in seventh grade that looks just like theirs. You know, don't be afraid to tell your own stories. I think it's getting better now. I think more people will be able to tell their stories. When I talk to like the girls in the audience, I say, look, if you're sick of princess books where the girls ride ponies all day and you decide that you like rock climbing or you're a black belt in Taekwondo, write those stories, you know, write the stories that you wish that you had. And with New Kid, that was one that I wish that I had as a kid because it would have made a difference. And because I didn't have that, I basically read Marvel comics and almost nothing else until I was like literally a grown man because I just never saw myself in books. Right. Yeah, you had said that uh, you, you wanted to write books that you wish you could have read when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing that. Jordan Banks, the name mm -hmm. of the character in New Kid. Is there any significance in that name? Did you, is it just a made up name or does yeah. it have any meaning behind it? No, it's a made up name. Um, Jordan is just a pretty popular name now. It could be a boy's name, a girl's name. You know, I wanted something that was kind of in the middle. I never pick the first names that come to my head. I try to go in a little bit uh, different, you know, like in Mama's Boys, they were Tyrell and Yusuf. And there's a lot of names that you see the same name over and over and over again. Now, there are a lot of names that I did use from my friends who I grew up with around my block. The school where Jordan came from is named after my editor. The, uh, the headmaster is named after my agent, you know? So there's a lot of like things like that in there. Yeah, yeah. But Jordan was just like uh, a made up name. Okay, all right. What's next for you? What, where, where are you at? So I am, I'm like 72 hours away from my deadline of handing in the follow-up book to New Kid called Class Act. And if I can get it in by Monday, which I will, it will come out October 10th of this year. Okay. So when you get it, um, it will literally be right off the presses, like hot off the presses, as they say. And then there will be a third New Kid book, which I don't have a title for yet. And then from there, we'll see, you know, maybe a couple picture Can books. Can envision anyone taking this to TV as a, as a cartoons show? Yeah, I um, am in talks now to see exactly what the best thing is. So it might be theatrical, it might be streaming, uh -huh. you know, I think we are leaning towards animation. Okay. But that's something that hopefully... I can tell you more about in the next couple of weeks, but I have a weekly phone call with the updating the progress. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see it. I don't know if they, I don't know if they do this anymore. Remember back in the day, they used to do assemblies mm -hmm. in school. I, I could yeah, see absolutely. it as a, a quality assembly. Yeah. No, I, I actually do. When I do school visits, I still do a lot of assemblies. Okay. So I, I go and I, I draw and I talk about literacy and new kid and Q and a, but I would love to, again, because if I put you on the spot now and say name another black cartoon besides Fred Albert, 
how much how much would you bet that you could do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. If this was Jeopardy, would, would you bet everything you had now? No, no. Right. I, w- I would say the Jacksons. And that's Jackson five. Right. And that's equally as old. Right. That's like <laughs> back in the 70s. Yeah, right. So why is that? You know, and Fat Albert, everyone watched Fat Albert. So it definitely had legs. It definitely was n- not just for black kids. So it had the financial success. It had critical success. So why wasn't that emulated, mm. imitated, ripped yeah. off, anything? You know, it, it, it had a, a format. Right. So my goal would be to, to be like a Fat Albert for these younger generations now. I think that would be a really cool thing mm. and have Jordan Banks up there, kind of like an iconic character, which is why I wanted to do multiple books with that character and then you know there'll be some license and stuff that's in the works and things like that so that's my goal your boys when i saw them last they were like little kids little now they're men right yes they are 22 and 20 Uh my youngest is helping me with my social media you know things like that and they both are really very supportive and critical of my work because but in a good way you know like they're the ones that like hey dad no one would say that you know or no kid would say that or no you got to change that and also i think last time i had met you this is the book that we had done and i co-wrote this with them and this is a superhero but an anti-bullying book that my sons jay and aaron helped her write when they were in middle school so they've always been my my partners and now that they're older they they definitely uh, keep me grounded and focused so winning the newberry and the credit scott king and the kirkus like all that stuff has just been pretty amazing and they've been there the whole time yeah that's awesome Awesome that you could share it with your family. That's, yep. what you, that's what you write about. Great values that you have in, in all of your books. New Kid, it's out there. I invite you to go out and, and check it out. It's a great book for kids to read, for all kids to read. So try to put that on your list, especially for the summer for kids to do. And if you're looking for more from Jerry Craft, it's jerrycraft.com, right? Yep. Yeah, just go right to jerrycraft.com, get all the information. You can see all the awards that he's won and everything else. Uh, he's a good stand-up quality guy, man, he just, and very talented. So, Jerry, I'm glad of all the success that you've been having. Keep going, and uh, thanks for, for taking out some of your time. So every, every Zoom call I see, people like end up with either their dogs or their kids. So since my, <laughs> since my kids are too big to put on my lap now, so... I, yeah. Oh, what what's what's the name? This is uh, Snoopy, and the other one down on the floor looks just like Miss Dexter. Oh, he's a cute. Yeah, I actually oh, found man. a beagle named Snoopy. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, we wouldn't oh. have it any other way. Yeah. Good. So All thank right. you, Charlie, for your literally years of support. I still the the video that you did of me in my old neighborhood is still one of my favorites. So I, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you as well, and I'm glad you were able to give some time to us today on the Just Saying podcast. Jerry Kraft, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Saying podcast.